In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Are you guilty of this? Have you Googled headache at the front of head, slightly blurred vision? Did you learn that you may have a brain tumor or that you need to drink some water because you are dehydrated? This clinical phenomenon in which repeated internet searches regarding medical information result in an excessive concern about physical health is called cyberchondria. On today's podcast, we discuss Dr. Google. Good morning, guys. I want to apologize in advance. My throat is a little sore this morning. Too, I, too much quacking. Too much quacking, yeah, too much <laughs> quacking. Uh, I woke up around midnight. My, uh, my, my toddler has been fighting a cold. I think it's going through the, uh, the school. And, um, and I woke up, and I just felt it coming on. I was like, oh, no, we're recording in the morning. I'm going to sound horrible. So when I was making my coffee this morning, I just did like a quick search of like sore throats. And um, there's a chance I might not have the cold. Um, there's apparently a, a parasite that um, in the back of your throat can can start. Don't laugh, Roger. This is serious. I'm, I'm actually a little concerned. You might, might want to reconsider how you're reacting to this. <laughs> the parasite can actually bore into the back of your throat. Now... I, re- I realize it's a very small percentage, but um, yesterday I ate some uh, papaya. And when I Googled uh, papaya, um, it actually it came from Central America. And this parasite actually lives in, in Central America. And chances are it was the fruit was probably washed because they do that before they ship it. And there's a chance the parasite could be on the papaya. And when I was eating it, it, it went to the, the back of my throat. And um, I jumped into a forum, and when I went into the forum of others, no, this is serious. Come on, it's not just a cold. I know it's cold season, but there's a chance this could be a parasite, so I'm probably gonna have to leave early to uh, go to a doctor's appointment. But um, the uh, there was people that had been afflicted by this parasite, and when I was reading through some of the comments in the forum, somebody posted a GIF from the movie Alien. You know, when the the worm comes out of out of the stomach. So if in the middle of this session, uh, something comes shooting out of my stomach, then it won't be so funny and you would have taken me seriously. So uh, is there anything wrong with me? (laughs) (laughs) What? But you went down a rabbit hole, didn't you? I was just looking out for my own health. I want to make sure that I'm covering all my bases. All right. What I want you to do is Google illness, anxiety disorder. Illness, anxiety. Oh, do I have that? I might have that. Illness, anxiety disorder. Yeah, what does Dr. Google say? So we're watching on the screen right now. He's searching it. Illness, anxiety. Oh, it came up. Um, All I typed was illness, and it came up anxiety disorder. I think Google knows more about me than, than I know about myself. All right, here's what Dr. Google says about illness, anxiety disorder. Illness, anxiety disorder is a chronic mental illness. It's chronic. Wow. Chronic illness, previously known as hypochondria, People with this disorder have a persistent fear that they have a serious or life-threatening illness despite a few or no symptoms. Yeah, but I have a sore throat and I ate papaya. It's possible, right? It's possible that you actually do have that condition. The the parasite? The parasite. Oh, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) You serious? Like one out of a thousand percent chance? Really? That high? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm bad with numbers. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm exaggerating clearly in order to, uh, to do a nice little lead into what we're talking about today. Um, and I've heard it as a cyberchondria. Have you heard that term? Yeah, certainly have. We're talking about modern society mm-hmm. and how it, it, that in itself can lead to mental distress and you know, people really struggling with various kind of conditions. There's always been 
that kind of concept of of a hypochondriac, someone who's always worrying about their own physical health and and wellness and and certainly it can become an obsession and that obsession obsession can lead to frequent doctor visits for reassurance seeking for the most part and it becomes a, a focus of your life you know where your attention goes your energy flows and so your attention then becomes on all the various shifts in bodily sensations you know if you really paid attention to how you felt on a daily basis. You'd notice an ache here or a pain here or a sensation here. And there's really good evidence that uh, people who like really struggle with this illness, anxiety, or previously hypochondriasis are ones who have like a lot of attention to those shifts in bodily sensations. And it can become a real problem. It can really impair your life. Now, here we are in the 21st century and right at our fingertips, we can go down an entire rabbit hole of Googling symptoms, which can try to give us information about our health condition, but it could also take us down a direction in which we are further and further away from what is reality, Mm -hmm. hijacking our own attention and then creating its own level of anxiety. Kelly, are you a cyberchondriac? No. Have you ever gone down the rabbit hole of searching something that was related to your health? And no, but for others, for family members, okay. you know, when my when my dad was going through Alzheimer's, you know, I oh, was yeah. I would search, and <clears throat> you see a lot of really shocking articles and stories, and that made me panic a little bit. I think that made me a little fearful. I yeah. just I just did it about two or three weeks ago. My son's at a wrestling tournament, mm. and. Um, he breaks his tibia. So we have a x-ray and the technician, actually it was just a, a PA at a you know local ready care, mm-hmm. said you have to go get, get see a, you know, an orthopedic. He broke his tibia. So you start Googling broken tibia. And obviously I'm kind of thinking about his high school sports career. The wrestling season starts in the end of November and I'm kind of counting weeks and here we are in September. And before you know it, you know, he's in my mind, according to Dr. Google, he's had like complete reconstructive surgery of his leg. He's out six months. You know, he's got pins in there and he's lost his entire sophomore year of wrestling. Like that's where you go. Right. Because depending on how your tibia was broken, you know, it could require that. And we've seen things in sports where it's like compound fractures and and it's kind of coming out of the skin. Luckily, it didn't turn out to be that at all. That's what you're going to get on the first page of Google. You're going to get the the worst case situations and scenarios generally. Well, I guess it depends on how you phrase your search in Google, right? Because there's definitely there could be a bias to what you're looking for, and the word that you throw into that uh, that search bar could really influence what the results are. I don't even know. Maybe you have a better idea of how this Google algorithm works. Mm-hmm. How do we get information? So when we start. When our own fears and our own anxieties are taking over us, whether it was the COVID pandemic or our own, you know, or health conditions, like how does it become determined what is going to be on the first couple pages? Well, your your search results are personalized, so based on your history, um, the the type of things that you've been looking for, but the words you would put in there. So if if for example you wrote. Uh, Broken tibia, worst case scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that's going to come up is going like to <laughs> show people that had their legs amputated mm-hmm. because of like infections or uh, multiple surgeries that didn't work out or a uh, broken uh, fibula at a young age and the leg stopped growing. Like those are potentially worst case scenarios, right? But if you um, just search like recovery time from broken fibula, uh, then you might see like four to six weeks. No, that was, that was the worst case scenarios would come. I up. was just going to say, <laughs> oh, really? Can, yeah. can you can you do that? Search? Well, then may- maybe your prior search <laughs> has been based on some some negative. I don't my, think it's is it just me or is it like website hits? So like, well, would, that that is. So I mean, there's uh, Google always changes their algorithm, right? But they have crawlers. So based on the the terms that are within the context of the that web that web page and the, uh, the information that's being provided, and the words that you're searching for, it's going to try and show you the most relevant 
um, information that it is you're looking for. And, um, and it's almost validated by the amount of clicks that have happened there and people have found the answers that they're looking for. It's, so it's kind of, you know, I've, I've provided this result to someone in the past and then they found their answer. Therefore, it's a validated um, uh, result. So it, it does get bumped up based on page views. So. Yeah, because I never Googled anything about broken tibia before. I mean, it's the first time. And so I imagine I got sent to websites that get the most traffic. Yeah, uh, but what you're what you're uncovering is that I I think the human psychology of it is that the sites that get the most traffic might have titles that are a little more severe because uh, there's words in there that people would click on um, that they're extreme. It's almost like um, like a news headline that is very exaggerated or uh, what's the word i'm looking if for it bleeds it leads exactly so those are the ones that get the clicks so therefore if you're searching for something medical you have a headline in there that does the same thing that's the one that's going to get bumped up all right so let me ask here's a philosophical question right i'm a believer that we create our own realities mm-hmm. okay and what does that mean it means in our minds regardless of like what's in front of us in the material world, the stories that our minds create begins to influence exactly what our reality is. Therefore, if my attention is on worst case scenarios, mm-hmm. right? Think about the world in which I'm living. It's a very scary, threatening world. And so the Google ad- algorithm is similar to this. It's kind of like reinforcing the reality in which we choose to pay attention to. Because I imagine our our search words are Mm going to be very similar to the language of our minds. Absolutely. Okay. So Google has this way of kind of creating this alternative reality. And that's the challenge of being a psychologist is that you have to get into the minds of your clients and be able to see their world, the one that they create in their own internal headspace. And a good example of information that you can receive that that uh, you can deduce a, into like the person's mind is looking at their behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? So being able to get information about daily actions and daily behaviors is a pretty good window into understanding like mindset and thinking. So we have these smartphones and we have our laptops and going through a a search history, you know, is really interesting to be able to get information about where their attention is. And we are limited, right? We're going to limit what we're going to focus our attention. And so if like, if we go into your search history, Kelly, (laughs) what are we going to be careful about that? one? (laughs) (laughs) What are we going to find in your, in your search history? Well, I mean, a lot of it is research for this and then sports scores, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I usually will try to find, I go on Twitter, I try to get news from outside resources. I mean, the search history is going to be, I'd say mostly very broad range, but it's going to deal with a lot of sports and a lot of interesting edge thoughts kind of thing (laughs) where you go down and try to find new information. But so sports was always my, um, What's the great? What's the right word for this? Um, my disconnect from the struggles and the challenges of everyday living. Like you can just kind of escape into a sports world. You know, love competition and and really just enjoy sports. And so you can go down your rabbit hole of reading your articles and watching your videos and going on Twitter and fantasy football and and so forth. And it really is a nice respite from the day to day. But then I realized at some point in my life that all that energy and attention that I put into sports, if I started directing that in some other ways that are more productive, I could really enhance my capacities to learn about things that are really important and interesting to me. So I've like decreased that dramatically. But now I have like these other obsessions. So if you go into my, if you go into my search history, um, a lot of the topics that we have here on this, on this uh, podcast, you know, whether it's, you know, health, well-being, politics, psychiatric drugs, 
antidepressants, the harms created, diagnoses. Like I have become obsessed with that. And so in so many ways, I wonder how my reality is being formed and shaped Mm -hmm. by my search history. And I should just switch it up. I should just change my search algorithms to everything that is outside of my confirmation bias, right? Because we have this confirmation bias. Like we're going to attend to the information that fits our worldview. That's right. And that's how we kind of get divided too and with politics and society. So I almost like want to like switch up all my search algorithms and try to get like new information. We touched on this in uh, how to avoid extremes in thinking. Right. right? So your algorithm-driven biased information environment is it kind of you it forms this filter bubble around you right so it's just the things that you've been looking for i'm going to keep sending you the things that fit within there and the only way to overcome that is to type the opposite of what you're always thinking and see if you can be influenced or persuaded so the question i was just going to say well the question becomes is i guess what i have with google and you probably will know more about this does you kept you keep seeing algorithms and mm-hmm. things like that. Does Google? I'd imagine is probably one of the. I always think they make their money more from just data, like selling data to companies and that sort of thing. I could be wrong, but they. How much of their searches could be influenced by, by um, advertising money? Like when you type, okay, we're looking at the screen right now. You did type in recovery from broken fibula, and the let's say the second one. No, wait, second major search down, there's a, a doctor there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how mu- So this is just algorithm based off of your search history or is it possible that these first, say, 10 are coming up based off of uh, ad revenue or, or whatnot? Is, does that influence the searches at all in Google? It's a good question. I'm, I don't know if I can answer that, but I have not really searched for broken fibula as much, so I would imagine that these are promoting up um, sites that have gotten a lot of traffic and therefore have been validated. Okay, but uh, I am not an expert when it comes to to search. But um, there's a, I started kind of going down a rabbit hole in this area when in preparation for this. And there's there, there's a there's a push towards search neutrality. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna read what what the principle is. So search neutrality is a principle that search engines should have no editorial policies other than that the results be comprehensive, impartial, and based solely on relevance. This means that when a user types in a search engine query, the engine should return the most relevant results found in the provider's domain, those sites which the engine has knowledge of, without manipulating the order of the results, except to rank them by relevance, excluding results, or in any other way manipulating results to a certain bias. Yeah, which is... It's dangerous that that's happening because Google can influence elections. They can, yes, um, but that's all based on their current algorithm. And the pushback against search neutrality is that uh, if those if the if the clicks keep happening, right, then it's going to turn the internet into a very narrow focused results limiting the opportunity for other opinions and and stories to get out and influence. So I think it's extremely complicated and one that needs to be looked at further. And that's going to probably continue to evolve. So let's go back to that idea that we create our own realities. Mm -hmm. So this concept of illness anxiety disorder, it's actually a DSM diagnosis. So hypochondriasis has evolved into illness, anxiety is it disorder. A, is it a version of obsessive compulsive disorder? It is. So okay. if you're working in my field, we're going to view this as an obsession. And then there's compulsive reactions or behaviors. So I think this idea of Dr. Google exacerbates the condition for people who had underlying vulnerabilities and might have skewed towards the hypochondriasis end of the the worry spectrum you need to change that you're having a hard time with that word maybe you just come up with something else hypochondriasis yeah. hypo or hyper hypo hypo hypochondriasis okay or hypochondriacs oh okay yeah okay the name is hypochondriasis <laughs> right. but you become a hypochondriac yeah okay and we have some family members who you know kind of skewed to that 
that end. I would never accuse anybody of anything. It's not an accusation. I, I mean, don't know. It's just you're like, pointing fingers. Did you point at me? No, no, no. no, I'm not, no I, don't, I don't think you're that. But um, <laughs> it's like where your attention goes, right? So this is enough to have somebody come and seek out therapy. Mm. It is a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. And what ends up happening is the person ends up becoming obsessed with their own health. What drives it? Personally, I think it's a lot like other anxiety-related conditions like obsessive-compulsive disorder where there's kind of an intolerance for uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So imagine, you know, living in a world where we can't ever guarantee what's going to happen to us the next day, right? Can you get... As much as we try and control everything. (laughs) Can you guarantee that this is not our last podcast? Uh, No. Mm -hmm. Right? We, We can't... We can't guarantee that. All three of us? No. But there might be one where uh, it's just the two of you in here. And you're like, Sean had a uh, parasite. We're really embarrassed a by this. parasitic accident <laughs> from it papaya. Really, it really did come out of his throat. <laughs> Notice how he used the alliteration of papaya and parasite, too. <laughs> that was just purely coincidental. <laughs> yeah, it's the thing that we... We don't always want to recognize, right? We assume we're just going to wake up every morning and the next day is going to be like the, the previous one. We're going to live a, a long life and, you know, die in our beds at 90, mm-hmm. you know, with our loved one. But the truth of the matter is we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing that is guaranteed is that we will die and that our time on earth is limited. So it brings up a lot of questions about our, our future. There's so much uncertainty. And to live fully in our lives, we have to be kind of connected as much as we can to the present and we have to live that present fully because the whole concept of worry is kind of and this goes back to kind of creating our own realities is you go into this unknown future and it's often self-protective like what is this bad thing that could happen what's this next thing that could happen how can i protect myself against that and the more we worry and the more we get in our own heads the more we get disconnected from what is actually right in front of us so the the individual with illness anxiety disorder is trying to protect themselves from going down that route of getting diagnosed with a severe illness too late, right? It's like, if I can figure this out ahead of time, then I can save myself. And it kind of jumpstarts this process where you're in this fight or flight kind of reaction and you're under threat and they're a risk and your mind can create all these stories if you're a parent you can worry about your kids if you're um, if you're younger you might be worrying about other family members or or friends but I think the common thread here is there's this attention and focus internally on your own well-being and the threat of something really catastrophic potentially happening to you so a sore throat becomes throat cancer mm-hmm. a headache becomes a brain tumor. well i didn't say throat cancer i said a parasite i know what you said but like you have this persistent sore throat you know you do your google search you know somewhere it's going to hit throat cancer you have your headache mm-hmm. somewhere it's going to hit a, a brain tumor right <laughs> and you cannot get it confirmed unless you have some um kind of advanced medical technology or doctor visit right so you're feeling anxious you go to the doctor, the doctor checks everything out, they tell you you're fine, and then your anxiety lowers. So I got a question. As a male, I tend to not go to the doctor. I'll prolong something as long as possible. And in my mind, I may think about those worst case scenarios, but I'll still say, I'm going to give this two weeks. If it doesn't go away, then maybe it's something. But I'll just keep pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. So is this biological gender influenced in any way? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're male, female, gender neutral. I I think it's a, you know, it's a human vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've treated men and women who can get obsessed in this area. So when you do treat them, how, what's the tolerance? How do you treat that tolerance or how can you build that tolerance? Yeah, it's a good question. There's, there are treatments that work for obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, they're difficult to implement because it's exposure and response prevention treatment. 
So obviously we have to change the way we think about something and we have to change our behavior around it. So imagine that, Sean, you do have this throat condition and your mind is telling you it's throat cancer or a parasite. You're going to be flooded with anxiety and your natural inclination is to want to go get that checked out, right? So Dr. Google is a way for you to do it immediately. We didn't have this you know, 30 years ago to be able to turn to that automatically to try to get some relief. But it is a rabbit hole. So you are not going to get relief from turning to Dr. Google. It's going to exacerbate the anxiety and fear because of the direction you're going to go down. Obviously, it's going to take you to worst case scenarios. You're never going to know. So it doesn't matter how many articles you read about throat cancer. You don't know if you have throat cancer. The only way you can do it is by going to the doctor, and that's the compulsive behavior. So the compulsive behavior is doctor uh, reassurance seeking and other compulsive behaviors like Google searching or talking to other people about your condition. And talking to other people about that condition you know, can either get some initial reassurance. You're fine. Stop worrying about that. Everyone experiences that. Then you get you know, a little bit of a decrease in anxiety and you feel better temporarily. So when I went into the forum of other people that have been afflicted by the parasite that I may have and I saw the, uh, the alien gif of the... I had the a cousin on my mom's side who went through something similar and it turned out they had, right? And it just mm-hmm. kind of creates the, the worry and so forth. And ultimately, it's challenging when you're in the mental health world because... Well, even your mind is like, what if they do have something serious? Am I advising somebody to <laughs> not go get something <laughs> checked out by a doctor? Am, am I liable here? <laughs> Good question. Are you? So no. one of the things that's drilled into your head as a psychologist is when somebody is experiencing something, rule out other medical conditions. Mm-hmm. So thyroid condition can present itself as anxiety or depression, Lyme's disease. You know, there's a number of, of psychiatric symptoms that are related to an underlying med- medical condition. So you're, it's drilled in your head. Go get it checked out. Go get it checked out. At some point, you have to have really good evidence that this is a pattern and that your client has been engaging in repetitive, compulsive doctor-checking behaviors it's impairing their quality of life their mind is focused on this to such a degree that it's at the expense of a lot of other things that are important in living free in life and therefore you have to be able to get them to be able to stop that pattern because it's reinforcing in nature worry is reinforcing and so the response prevention piece of all these exposures is once i pull away all that reassurance seeking, whether it's through Google or through the doctor or through a family member, you're going to be flooded with the fear because you're flooded with the uncertainty. And they have to have some ability to be able to cope with that. Maybe that's just some, you know, logical fact checking, or maybe it's on the realm of just acceptance, right? Kelly, do you know if you have cancer right now? I don't. Sean? Uh, No, I don't. (laughs) He already has a parasite. Stop kidding None of us can be able to make that determination. I've got lots of freckles too. So now I'm like really concerned about maybe a melanoma. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do we, I mean, what do we do then? If you don't know you have cancer and you, and you accept the possibility that you do, how do you live? How do you live free? Well, I keep pushing things off and I just take it one day at a time. What do you mean by pushing things off? Well, I know I might have a melanoma, but I'm not going to go to the doctor. <laughs> well, there are people that will just not go to the doctor because they fear that they're going to get a diagnosis of some sort. Huh. When's the last time you've been to a doctor, Roger? Why would you go to the doctor if you feel well? See, this is the selling, this, this is the well, selling sickness component in our, in our society. And this takes us down another rabbit hole. Like they call we, wellness checks. Yeah, wellness checks. <laughs> it's called money. <laughs> so, like, we need to have an entire podcast on the placebo effect. Yeah, actually, that that would be a great one. Because uh, uh, 
and, and we'll, we'll get into it there because I'm, I'm wondering if the placebo effect is driven by individuals that mind power over, you know, making themselves better. I, well, we already, so we know this is, let's just talk about scientific facts. Beliefs change our physical presentation, our emotional presentation. Mm-hmm. Beliefs have cured cancer. You guys look at me like, what? Well, explain. Well, so why do, you, why do we have RCTs? Our, what's RCT? Oh, randomized what? control group. Trials. Trials, okay. Right? We, the gold standard is you have to compare your treatment against a placebo. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there, there, sometimes things just happen. And <laughs> what's the percentage of times that it happens or cures itself? Right? Yeah. Well, what is it? Kind of consistently, thirty to thirty-five percent. It's yeah, about thirty percent. No medical treatment, just belief. Well, you don't even know if it's just belief. It could just be like ignoring it. Well, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like I'm going to heal myself, and you're like. No, No, it's they. They believe they got the medical intervention. So that's what makes the placebo placebo group. Yeah. So they believe they receive some. It's not a, a, a control group that receives no intervention. They actually well, maybe believe they got the like, intervention. There should be a control group that doesn't get at the intervention. They do. They just tell them, like, you're not getting it. You're just going to be in this. So, okay. Well, it's so. Is that like triple? Eth- ethically, that's difficult sometimes if the condition is, like, life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there's, there's plenty of trials, right? Have the, the, no, the wait list control group. So they're just waiting to get the treatment. So you can compare the the medical intervention, the placebo group, and then the waitlist control group. So beliefs are powerful. Right, so what happens when you believe something to be true? Let's flip it around. So that brain-body connection, uh, can the uncontrolled thinking about... Can we say mind-body? Okay. Because mind is different than brain. All right. Mind-body connection... Sure. (laughs) Um, The uncontrolled thinking about an illness, can it cause that illness? I think so. Really? I do. I I believe you can. And I'm I'm not alone in this. You'd have to get outside of the Western medicine. Do you think you can think yourself into a physical, like cancer, those types of things? Well, I mean, that's. Let me clarify. Yeah. I do believe that stress is a killer, okay? So if if the question is that by worrying about something and focusing on something, can it create a diseased state? The answer, I, I believe, is absolutely yes. So what happens when we are thinking or focusing or worrying about something related to our safety? Well, on a either, even a very low level, you know, our body is now going into a fight or flight state. So what is occurring is we are ready to react to something that is very dangerous. And we know that exposure to chronic stress creates chronic inflammation, lowers our immune response, because we're trying to direct all our focus on energy on being able to fight or flee. And that chronic exposure to that over time creates the body's disease, right? That's what a disease is. How it manifests itself in the body, I, mean, I guess, would be, would be different. So even like if we think about you know, cancer or heart disease or autoimmune conditions as your body at disease, that it is reacting to some form of stress, and then when your immune system is compromised, then we experience the symptoms. And that's why we have so many problems in Western medicine because we treat symptoms without the cause. So if you are under chronic stress, it's just a matter of time before your body breaks down. So I think it's really important that we understand where our mind is mm-hmm. and why mindfulness and meditative practices are so important is because you're getting out of that story. You're getting out of that mindset that's creating disease, that's creating inflammation, that's creating stress. And you're, you're getting into a, 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 a state of, of, 
of pure presentation within the moment outside of the mind. So the mind is powerful. So let's go back to placebo. If you believe something is helping you, it, it will and it can. And I don't even think we've been able to tap into what our minds are capable of doing, right? I mean, if we, if we got in a time machine and went back, you know, 400 years, we would never believe that would be things flying in the sky, right? Like airplanes, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like that would be outside of the capabilities of our minds at that time. And so you always have to ask yourselves, what is outside the capabilities of our mind right now that are, that's true, right? That is real. That is that we're capable of doing. So even now Western physicians have to acknowledge this, that there are things called energy healing, that people heal from, um, from a group of people who have some ability to generate energy and cure chronic conditions. Even there's been RCTs that have allowed that. Like we might have capabilities that most of us, maybe because of you know where our attention is or what we hear or what we focus on our Google search, like we're not in that space. We're not in that world because mm-hmm. it's competing with the Western medicine narrative. And so you can go and speak to alternative, really smart people who've been in, who've been trained physicians and have kind of moved themselves into into other healthcare fields because they are disillusioned with the Western medicine treating symptoms with pharmaceuticals. Because they'll tell you, you know, in the Western world, we are really, really good at dealing with trauma, blunt trauma. You know, we can fix things that are broken, right? If you are in a car accident, you want to go to that surgeon in the ER. If you have a broken tibia, you know, or ACL, or maybe need a surgery that's life-saving. We're really, really good at that. You know what we're really bad at? Preventing and treating disease. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many people who have developed some chronic illness, maybe it's autoimmune, maybe it's some cancer, that they have begun to search alternative treatments because we're kind of poisoning the body, you know, by by focusing on symptom reduction and the outcomes are really poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would hate to get cancer in the United States because I would go to cancer specialists who know things in only a specific way. And I'd be much more interested to know about Eastern medicine and Eastern philosophies. We are brainwashed in the United States. We believe we're in like this um, healthcare capital of the world where yeah. we have the best doctors. People come here to, for treatment. Right. Look at our outcomes. Look at where we are as far as very key metrics around health um, against other developed nations. Yeah, but I mean, you can start asking the question, is, is that a result of the, of the medical system or infant, the... Infant mortality rate. Look where the United States is as far as infant mortality rate compared... Let's, let's Google it yeah. right now. Dr. Google... Keep talking. I'm going to pull it up. Yeah. So compare the United States, which is the, you know, the beacon of light of healthcare in the Western world, the best doctors, the most innovative science. And then what's the infant mortality rate by country? And so I think you got all of them there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is 2022 infant mortality rate by country. Um, boy. Let's see if I can find a list. Uh, You're probably going to have to. Here's the lowest infant mortality rates. Um, and this is deaths per 1,000 live births, so it has nothing to do with population. But here we are. The United States isn't even in the top 10, Sean. So, I mean, what's, uh, what's uh, ahead of us on this list from Iceland? Scroll back down. Iceland, San Marino, Estonia, uh, Slovenia, Norway, Japan, Singapore, Finland, uh, Montenegro, Sweden, Infant mortality in the United States um, predominantly caused by congenital disabilities, preterm birth and low weight, maternal pregnancy complications. The mortality rate in the United States was 5.44 in 2022. The rate was 50th amongst the the 195 countries and territories measured and significantly higher than in 
dozens of other developed countries. So you you think, and this is probably, this is part of like the American exceptionalism that we all kind of grew up in. And although like the idea of having freedom, I think does create exceptionalism and trying to living in a society that promotes freedom. But this is what happens when you have industry driven healthcare. All your statistics around health, longevity, infant mortality rate, they begin to drop because it is a pretty strong statistic that represents the general health and well-being of a society. Mm -hmm. And I think your infant mortality rate is going to continue to decrease the more you have a healthcare system that is primarily treated by pharmaceuticals. And when you have doctors and physicians who are uninformed, I mean, I see it every day. I see stupid doctors having uh, pregnant women go on, quote unquote, I always say, quote unquote, I'm eliminating that from this podcast, <laughs> um, antidepressants because they're afraid of postpartum depression. We don't have any evidence that an antidepressant is going to be in any way protective against postpartum depression. If you Google it, you'll probably find something. But what we do have is pretty strong evidence that these drugs themselves can create um, complications with the... Uh, developing baby so these doctors just don't they don't you believe they don't actually know the side I, effects i know they don't they don't know i okay. know they don't because where are they getting their information and think about what it's like to be a uh, a primary care physician in the united states any type of physician mm -hmm. what do you think their days are like packed of 15 minute meetings just like meeting with uh, patients or clients. If like, you're lucky. If you're lucky, 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and it's like lo they're long days. And, and, and I think they have lots of tools now that happen to be, you know, Dr. Google <laughs> versions of a tablet where um, if someone is diagnosed with something, they can type in the diagnosis and they'll come up with the treatments that are listed there. So it's to help overcome errors or mistakes. Now the use of technology is influencing doctors' To there's your have, bias have recommendations so there's so there's but there's, i, I want to caution that because yes i do believe that is, is I, a tool that they use i, I want to experience is always coming in with so i want to i want to point out you know that error in logic and judgment so it's this idea, on my side yeah so <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it goes back to sean's bias of you know positive intention you know, applied to every situation. No, I'm just saying that there's always good doctors and there's always bad doctors. No, no, Someone has to graduate that's at the not, top of the class. That's Someone the, has to be at the bottom of the class. That's not the comment I'm, okay. I'm talking about. <laughs> when you said the, the, basically the technological tools to prevent errors. Yeah, there's lots of mistakes that happen in hospitals. Yeah. Yeah, tons. Yes. But then the question is, you know, when you do that quick search or where you get that information, what are you, where are you getting that information from, Right. And that's the problem in our medical system is this protocol driven, you know, treatments are heavily, heavily influenced by the pharmaceutical industry in the United States. They are the ones that are providing the, the data that supports the the most effective treatment in this particular situation. And bottom line is this, and this goes back to Google algorithms and other ways, is that the information or the flow of information is tightly controlled. So alternative treatments or other ways of looking at something, the, the day of the doctor who can become a lifelong learner in their specialty area and continue to have the time to investigate, research, meet with other professionals from around the world and so forth is really, really decreasing because of limitations on their time. And so it becomes a protocol-driven healthcare. And if we put some of our other podcasts together, we say, hey, nope, one person is different. And if our healthcare system is driven into treating symptoms and not restoring health, what kind of recommendations are you, are you getting? I mean, we're, we still live in this world where people think cholesterol is bad. Right. I mean, if you talk to an older generation, I mean, their their focus is, well, I have to lower my cholesterol and they just do not understand the much greater picture of of cholesterol. 
And we'll definitely get some doctors on here to talk about this, especially when it comes to cholesterol. But why is that such a focus, like in the United States, as some health outcome? Like if I lower my cholesterol, then I'm decreasing my, my likelihood of developing cardiac disease. I'll tell you why. Because they develop drugs to lower cholesterol, statins. Mm-hmm. But then go and look at the outcomes, the clinical outcomes for people who go on statins. Right, And you're going to keep that regardless of what the information is that's outside of what the mainstream is. It's a, such a multi-billion dollar industry, yearly industry for, to sell these statins. The doctors are still going to think that, hey, you have to lower your cholesterol. And that's insanity. So I want to bring this back to uh, removing the doctors from uh, the conversation, but as an, as an individual, as, as me, um, and bring it to cypochondria. So We've had conversations in here about what was happening during COVID. So there were some during that period that became very curious and read a lot and stayed informed about all the latest information that was happening, while others just said, you know what, it is what it is. I'll deal with it when I have to. Uh, You know, I'm not going to really bother too much. And we've said in here, you know, it's your personal responsibility to stay informed, to know what's going on. You need to do that. Don't count on the narrative that's being pushed your way. So when does curiosity cross the line over to cyberchondria? Well, your other question is, is what is what's the where's the line or the difference between being well informed on something to something becoming an obsession? Mm-hmm. And there's something called the health beliefs model. What's that? That how we what we believe about oh you're gonna google that bring you it up. talk up. <laughs> that's why we have the screen up bottom bottom line is like how, what we believe about our health matters so sean if you believe that you need to go to doctors to check out everything right that's a strong belief but it's also around this idea that the doctor is going to identify the disease and treat the disease and 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 keep you alive conversely you could also have a belief for example where hey we're all going to die anyway what does it matter i'm going to live to the fullest and you're going to eat whatever you want or smoke or drink and so like i'd look into your belief so i, I do have a belief mm-hmm. like i believe that that food is medicine and lifestyle is medicine and that belief drives my day-to-day life. So there's certain things that I focus on from a health belief model for for myself. I focus on eating the most nutrient-dense foods and I try to eliminate anything that's processed and I limit sugar. So I'm on kind of a low-carb, high-protein, animal-based diet. I believe that makes my body feel the strongest, feel the best, limits my, uh, you know, inflammation. I think my body is going to respond optimally under those conditions. I focus on exercise. I focus on meditation. I focus on sleep. When all those things, and sun exposure, when all those things are there, I feel well. My body feels well. I believe that is the best medicine. I don't go to doctors when I feel well because I don't trust Western medicine at this time. Now, if I had something seriously wrong with me, right? then I would probably go and get a consult from multiple doctors. Doctors in our traditional model, and I'd ask about the science and I would do my research. I'd also try to look for healthcare practitioners that are outside of, of the mainstream and try to make a decision. But ultimately, I know I'm going to die. So I want to live as well as I can for the years that I have. And if I am focusing on going to doctors frequently. I think that impacts my quality of life because I don't necessarily trust the recommendations that are being provided. And I think that's based on pretty strong evidence about the healthcare system in the United States, the drug system. I mean, so many people, what are we on? 60 plus percent of Americans are on some form of ph- pharmaceutical. And I just I have a belief that if you're if you're diseased or you're unwell, that there is something that needs to be targeted and changed within you, not just blunting of a symptom or decreasing a symptom. And it served me well. I don't think I've been to a doctor since 2015. Not even a yearly checkup? I don't even go to yearly checkups. You had to do some blood work, though, for, you know, 
uh, if you want insurance. Yeah, but that was just the nurse coming to your house yeah. and taking the and taking your blood work for for insurance. So that's happened twice. And when she it, she took the blood out of your arm and it was green, and she looked at you and you went, because <laughs> <laughs> you're you're an alien. <laughs> you're you fall into a very uh, rare. Ultimately, what ultimately what I do want to do is get blood work, and you can do that on your own, and um, you can get that run through. So you uh, practice blood, bloodletting at home? <laughs> do you Le- use leeching? Uh, <laughs> leeching? You use leeches? Well, <laughs> I think you want to understand like your testosterone levels and some blood counts, and I think there's a lot that you can get about well, disease if, through 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 your blood. You work. believe food is the medicine, then understanding where you may be deficient would influence the food that you're eating. Correct? Of course, okay. I do. Yeah, yeah. and okay. you feel like you can do that on your own. Yeah. And I'm not saying people don't go to your doctors, right? I'm just saying when I when you're when I'm well, I'm not in this idea of uh, you need to go to your doctors all the time for some preventative kind of you know medical intervention. Like I'm just not a believer of that. That's not how I want to focus on my time. I don't think it improves my quality of life. I don't think it saves me or protects me from anything. And so I just don't. I don't live my life that way. I, I go to the, the wellness check once a year, and that's when I find out my estrogen levels are really, really high. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> I think it's that parasite. It's the parasite. I think he moved from his throat to his head. All right. Well, I want, I want to bring it back to this. So um, when how can one control the distress caused between reassurance-seeking and some of the uncertainty of... Um, reading through like an unverified online information. So what, what you're talking about is not the mainstream. So it would, when you want to do information and you're looking into these other resources, there's, there has to be a component for someone like myself and others that would read something and go, well, this, this seems really, um, it's, it seems too perfect to be true. So how true can it be? You lost me. So like uh, it's about curing yourself or like healing yourself and um, or even just like food is the medicine. Like those are very uh, nutritionist uh, approaches to, to life that many would read and say, I don't really believe that. I'm going to go to my doctor. Go ahead. Okay. I mean, but let's connect with reality here. Um, Do you ever look at some of the research on, you know, people who lived to like they're a hundred, you know, some of the oldest people. And it's not just length of, of, uh, I just think there's so life. much we don't understand. I mean, like a George what? Burns who would smoke cigars and drink, you know, whiskey every night. He lived to his like late nineties. And, you know, our grandfather, um, is 94 years old, but I would say his diet has been poor and he would even mimic that. But that could go into mindset. So I'm not, genetics. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I've, you are you are very Western medicine focused, like almost. Well, like, my yeah, my culture has influenced my beliefs. So yes, it shaped me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even when you say his diet um, is not good, yeah. I'm not so sure about that. So, one of the things that, if you went to India, for example, or you talk to, uh, if you went to some Eastern nations, they would talk about like the importance of the digestive system. Um, being able to not have to digest food, like the healing nature of the gut when it doesn't have to digest food. You mean like fasting? Yes. Okay. Right? The Western culture, we eat all the time, yeah. right? So we, we have breakfast, we have lunch, we have dinner, we have snacks, we sleep, we wake up, we do it again. Our grandfather, I think, has gone his entire life intermittent fasting. I, I Actually, that is because he was a workaholic. Mm-hmm. And he would forget to eat. Mm. Yeah, and and he's also very thin. So obesity is certainly a precursor to a lot of health problems. Mm-hmm. I think metabolic health is an untapped area in overall health. Yeah, it was it was um, very eye opening when we had Dr. Chris Palmer on. It was episode forty when he started talking about autophagy. Yeah. And I thought that was, it just blew my mind because I'd never heard of the word autophagy and the fact that when you do starve yourself and you go into a fasting state, all those old cells get like, you know, 
used up, depleted, pushed out, and then all new recells are born and it keeps you like healthier. So there's some interesting science, developing science. I'm not an expert on this at all around Alzheimer's disease. And when someone has Alzheimer's disease, their, their ability to be able to use uh, glucose as, a, as an energy for their brain gets severely um, impaired. And so there's this kind of an opening of this science to understanding more around metabolic health. What has happened in Western culture? 60% of calories coming from processed food for the typical average American. And so if you're in a, if you have, if you're using toxic foods, we've talked about seed oils mm -hmm. or other kind of chemically based fake foods. What's that doing to the body? One, but also when we have an over an abundance of carbohydrates and that they're not nutrient dense. They're obviously being stored as body fat, so there's part of the obesity crisis. But insulin um, resistance becomes a primary health concern. And that's why there's a rise in type 2 diabetes. And all this correlates well with health problems in the United States. And so like when you say he doesn't eat well, well, if he, if he goes all day and then like has some, some meat and some ice cream at night or something like that. I think that's what he does. <laughs> he might have been, you know, a lot healthier than we say, don't skip a meal or don't do this or don't do that because, you know, we have excess body fat and our metabolic health is, you know, running off of, of, of glucose and, uh, you know, we have insulin sensitivity and we're hungry all the time and, you know, that's creating chronic inflammation and affecting our uh, immune response and so forth. And therefore, what happens? We get diseased. And maybe then, you know, that's the development of cancer cells in a diseased state. But on, you know, if you're, if you're more metabolically healthy and you can kind of vacillate between and have some forms of autophagy, maybe that, you know, cleanses out the cell. Like, there's, you're right. There's so much we mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. What we do know, though, that our, our lifestyles are unhealthy. And I think we have to be looking more at what, what do we know over centuries of wisdom about what makes somebody healthy. And certainly that's movement, low stress, or at least stress that comes in uh, kind of waves, right? You know, and you deal with it and you have, you know, periods of peace, sleep, activity, the foods that you eat, if it's real foods, right? Um, and then there's the social aspect, like we are social creatures and social beings. So when we have love in our life and we have entertainment, we hang out with people and we have good conversation and we have purpose and we have community, all those things matter in health. So when you start coming with me with these food recommendations that are driven by the food industry, you know, we have this food pyramid where there's grains and other things that are kind of like just toxic to our own health. And then we go to a doctor that now has a pharmaceutical to treat that condition that was driven by the food industry's recommendation. You see how everything's kind of interconnected, right? See, so, I mean, who wants to live their life always focusing on their, on sickness, right? And worrying about their symptoms. Mm -hmm. Isn't it better just to try to feel good? Like what happens when you get out of the gym? You know, what happens when you come back from a run? Mm -hmm. You're changing your brain chemistry. You just feel better and you might feel better all day long just from things like that. And so I'm just tired of the symptom-driven kind of approach. And how does this come to, you know, Google? Well, this is what our healthcare system is. We, we type in symptoms into Google and they give us like 500 diseases that possibly could come from those symptoms. And... If we just changed the way we lived and we focused on our health, we would decrease a lot of these conditions, especially the psychiatric ones, you know, because we are a society that is anxious and depressed and irritable. Mm -hmm. And that's just increasing too. So now we have more disorders for that too. Oh, let me just Google that. Um, what is post-traumatic stress disorder? What is bipolar disorder? What is illness anxiety? It's just disorder after disorder after disorder after disorder. And where's your mind? What is now controlling your attention? What's controlling your attention is everything that's wrong with you, mm -hmm. right? What kind of life is that? And so when you go back to your, own, your, your previous question, when it comes to COVID, how about the people who just said, hey, I'll deal with it if I have to deal with it? I think they did better. 
I think they did better, right? Because they're not going to worry about things that don't really matter in that moment. And those are actually qualities, I think, of highly productive and happy people. I'm going to focus on what's in front of me. I'm going to do the best that I can. I can't control tomorrow. I can control right now. I can control today. I'm going to live the best life that I can. So I'm worried about the people who are worrying about what's the bad thing that can happen to me? What's the next thing? How can I control it? And those over-control strategies are generally the ones that are restricting your life. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.